Welcome to the Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm Jill Funky, Communications Manager at Sioux Nation Ag Center, and we are so glad you found us. Sit back and listen as our staff hosts welcome guests from all aspects of the livestock production industry. It's our mission at Sioux Nation to arm regional, small, and medium producers with all of the resources we can put in front of them. And now, on with the program. Hello and welcome to Sioux Nation Podcast. I'm your Sioux Nation Ag Center staff host, Amber Bothman. With me on the show today is Dr. Brent Meyer, cattle veterinarian for Merck Animal Health. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. It was a pleasure to be here today. Dr. Meyer, could you tell our listeners a little bit about your background and what you do for Merck? Yes, yeah, sure can. So uh, I specialize uh, with uh, cow-calf feedlot stalker uh, sector uh, with Merck Animal Health as a veterinarian, particularly in the Midwest. Uh, states is, is where I focus on. Uh, I've been with Merck for 12 years, and uh, prior to that, I was a practice owner, manager of uh, three practices, cow-calf feedlot and stalker with uh, part of that business is feedlot consulting. I did that in northwest Iowa, and so that's my background, and I enjoy, enjoy what I do with helping producers and veterinarians uh, with their health of their animals and make them more productive. So today we are talking about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of neonatal calf vaccinations. So I have a few questions. Who should be vaccinated? Yeah, we can talk about the neonate, focus on that. We, we could have another segment on the cow vaccine programs, and we can't forget about the cow. We, we have to get things primed up prior to that calf hitting the ground, particularly our repro vaccines and our scour vaccines and making sure our nutrition plane is, is in, a, in a good spot for our cows so that we have healthy cows, good body condition, and, uh, and good quality colostrum available. So with that, calves, they do have to be vaccinated in certain production systems. It depends on the history of the producer. The majority of people will look at how we get a vaccine for pneumonia, particularly started in these calves. Another disease issue we worry about is the clostridial diseases. And so you'll see a lot of the clostridial vaccines uh, being considered or at least the antitoxin early on in life. I think one of the things that we worry about with these little calves is when they get good colostrum, the, the bacterial protection that they get from the cow, when I say that, it would be manheimia or pasturella, histophilus, those antibodies degrade fairly quickly. So they're gone like by about two months of age and so there's a window there if these little calves that they could be susceptible to to those pathogens before they go out to grass or get their branding vaccines. Okay so that covers the who and what. So when are we giving the vaccines? Yeah the, the when is a good question. We want to look at the age of calf and the vaccines that have a label for those calves and a lot of that is, is determined by they call the Center of Veterinary Biologics USDA that, that kind of sets forth that but you got to look at the labels that's the first thing you look at and the other thing you look at is when does a producer have the disease uh, showing up or the disease pressure and then you can count back the days or the weeks that we can start incorporating these vaccines. The internasal vaccines, for example, we can give those in usually by about day seven, we start having some pretty good antibody levels in the nasal passages and then also circulating. And the sub-Q vaccines as well, they work pretty fairly well. There is some discussion, I think we'll probably cover that coming up on maternal antibody interference, but 
mainly what we want to do is, is get those vaccines producing antibody at least a week or two weeks before most of that disease pressure occurs. And so that's a timing thing that veterinarians can work with. If there's not that crunch time to get that done, then we just recommend following label directions with those vaccines. Most of those have a week of age or older on those vaccines, but just work with your veterinarian on those. And there's cases where they might uh, have to have that discussion. Do we need to do it sooner or not? And, and, and the veterinarian is the best person to have that discussion with. But most of those chaos might, might see a vaccine that, that week of age or older. So where are we doing the vaccines? Good question. So the, the where is two main routes of administration, I would say. There's vaccines out there that are called internasal. And so those will be administered up the nasal passages. You can either do most of those doses are, are two cc's per calf. And so you can either do two cc's up one nostril or a cc in each nostril. And then there's also the sub-Q vaccines out there. A lot of the clostridials are sub to you. There's also some virals. And we want those vaccines to go in that neck, that injection triangle in front of the shoulder and then below the, the top neckline and then above that jugular furrow. So there's an area on those calves that about the size of a hand because they're smaller animals is where we want that sub-Q vaccine to go into. Just, there is a uh, we call it a prescapular lymph node in front of that sh- shoulder towards the bottom that we want to don't want to get close to that. But most people know well about the BQA guidelines. And, and that's where that sub-Q vaccines should be placed on these calves. So out of my own curiosity with the internasal, is there a difference between doing it in one nostril versus both nostrils? No, there's, there's not a difference in efficacy with one nostril or two nostrils. It just goes down to producer preference or veterinarian pre- preference. They, they just give flexibility of that, whatever you're comfortable with. Why do we need to vaccinate? So we need to vaccinate calves in particular, well, any animal actually, because calves, they get most of their protection early on in life from the colostrum. And uh, if they get good colostrum, good quality, they'll have natural protection for, for an extended period of time. There are calves, a high percentage of calves that don't get adequate colostrum. And so they will be in a susceptible state uh, of disease sooner than, than what we would think. And so with vaccines, the, the goal with that is to generate the immune system to produce the antibodies and the other parts of the immune system to, to combat those pathogens when they see them later on versus just relying on natural exposure. And if the calf is deficient at that time, then it's an uphill battle. So with clostridials and the pneumonia diseases, getting those vaccines or considering those early on to prime the immune system to get them ready is a good idea. And then also when they're weaned and they move on to the next production phase, if they've been vaccinated prior to that, their immune response is actually stronger going on to the next production phase. And so it's just a win-win situation on these little calves. You just caution that you don't want to over-vaccinate them with too much stuff at one time. Everybody kind of knows that. Uh, we don't want to stress the immune system out, but uh, just common sense and work with your veterinarian on, on those selections. So, Dr. Meyer, how do you suggest our producers prepare for vaccination day? Good question. Preparing for vaccination day, it's, it's very important. We've had, had this discussion is related to vaccine care, and vaccine handling and having everything ready to go. And so first thing is make sure you have uh, the right needles, right size of equipment, needle equipment, and your syringe systems are clean and sterile. You make sure that we're using good good equipment prior to 
vaccine handling and care is very important. We want to, especially those modified lives, the vaccines that you mix up, or any vaccine, you, you have to keep them in a temperature about between 35 and 45 degrees Fahrenheit, whether that's in the fridge, cooler, uh, or if you're working shoot side uh, with the calves. If that temperature gets above that, then we start to have some issues as far as potency uh, going forward. So we want to protect our product, keep it out of the sunlight, don't shake it aggressively, don't let it freeze. Freezing some of these vaccines, especially the clostridial vaccines, can uh, release what they call some endotoxins in, in the bottle itself. And then we might start getting some, uh, you know, like they call them sweats or calves might be dumpy for a day or two. So just care of that vaccine is very important. Don't be mixing vaccines in different syringes or you're mixing products and uh, you're following BQA guidelines is, is the key thing. So, yeah, that's kind of what we want to focus on is protecting your investment. You're, you're buying the vaccines and do, do our best to make sure that, that what's going in the calf has the most potency and most chance to produce an immune response. Do calves need tetanus shots? Uh, in certain situations, yes. There are certain parts of the country that deal with tetanus or lockjaw more than others. And that shows up with any kind of surgical procedure, whether uh, if you're banding or castrating. Typically, it's banding these calves at a later time. It's an issue to, to consider. The other thing, it just could be environmental pressure and make sure that they're not getting poked or jabbed by metal and stuff sticking around. So make sure that's all cleaned up. But tetanus is, is important to consider. Not all producers will use a tetanus vaccine on calves. If you do, it's very important to follow the booster guidelines. The tetanus itself, it, they need two, two doses to get that adequate antibody in the, in the blood to when we ban those calves, if they're going to be all right not succumb to tetanus. So that's my main point of that is planning again is when you're going to be banding calves. And then you got to work backwards and make sure that uh, we're banning those calves about two weeks after that second booster shot so that we have our maxed out antibody titer in those calves. What other activities should we work vaccinations around that will be the least stressful and provide the best chance for success? Other activities that are happening at this time would be eye castrating bull calves, and then there's implantation, implanting for growth hormone if you want to do that with these calves at this time as well. I think most part would be just do good quality humane cattle uh, on the calves at the time of vaccination. A lot of these calves will probably just get one or two vaccines if they're a younger calf. We're talking from birth to, to branding or turnout. So I would say low stress handling is probably the key thing that we want to consider. Uh, stress releases cortisol, and if the cortisol is really high uh, in these calves, the immune response to the vaccines aren't going to be as good as we want them to be. Uh, taking care of the environment as much as we can. I would say avoid working calves when it's you know, really hot out, above 85 degrees. We can start having some vaccine problems uh, as far as efficacy. So yeah, just planning your day. It's not going to be an environmental stress. And then as far as human stress on the calf is important to maintain that situation. What else would you like our listeners to know? Hey, we touched on maternal antibody interference briefly, I think twice, but I think we probably should discuss that just a little bit on that. And the uh, calves, like I said, they, they get a good colostrum. That's the key point. If uh, the calves don't get a good quality colostrum, they were, they're about five to eight times more likely to get sick and die prior to weaning. So it's very important that these calves get off in the right foot. So I would suggest producers work with their veterinarians, and it's a good idea to, to spot check these calves before a week of age. That's uh, a blood sample. You can check total protein in the blood. You, most clinics do this just to get an idea of what percent of your calves are getting good quality colostrum. Because if that's happening, 
you really got a leg up on health going forward. And so with that, if they do get good colostrum, they're going to have a lot of antibodies circulating. And some of the vaccines that, that we use, they may not get that robust response that we wanted to with, without uh, antibodies circulating. But the immune system is still responding to that with a different arm of the immune system. So there's memory that's produced. So that's why you just work with your veterinarian. And that's why we see a lot of the internasals being used because that bypasses that whole maternal antibody interference issue. And so you, you see those products being used in that young calf. And then the, uh, the sub-Q viral vaccines, you'll see those more closer to, to branding uh, or going out to grass because some of that uh, antibodies has degraded from that cow transfer. So I would say that's kind of something just to keep in, keep in your mind of, of why and that whole interference of what's going on there. We're just playing playing a game of uh, getting that best protection in these calves as we can. And, and that's just something to consider is just make sure those calves get good colostrum. Thank you, Dr. Meyer, for sharing your expertise on needle-natal calf vaccinations. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We'll catch you next time with more guests and topics.